Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Happy Wednesday, or whatever day you're listening to this. They all seem to be blending together most recently because we are still in the middle of COVID. I'm not sure when you'll be listening to this episode, but if you are listening to it on May 6th of 2020, we are still smack dab in the middle of COVID, and we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, granted, nothing's really changed in terms of where we're at with the virus There's still no cure. There is still no vaccine, but businesses are starting to reopen. And what I've found from everyone I've talked to, and I think I've mentioned this on the last episode, is this opportunity has really been that, an opportunity for us to have a really powerful pause in our lives and to really reevaluate and assess where we're at, what we want to be doing going forward And to really realize or think about, to really reflect on is where we've come from, where we really want to go back to. And one of the reasons why I broadcast the episode last week with Sunny talking about values is there is something really powerful about getting very clear and intentional about your values during this time. So I really want you to think about that as you go into this episode Because my next guest, Katie Anderson, she talks a lot about really learning what her core values were and how they affected her business and her personal life going forward from something that happened to her in her life that really made her reflect and reassess where she was at. And so a couple things as you're listening. First of all, Katie is amazing. She's young. She's driven. She's high-spirited. She has a family. I think we can all relate to Katie's story. And one of the things she says in the episode, it was fine until it wasn't fine. And how much are we just kind of going along with things and saying, you know what, they're fine. And the other thing Katie really talks about is something happens to her where she realizes she needs to be really honest with the people around her about what she can and cannot do. And she needs to get really clear about asking for support. So as you go through the episode, I want you to think about where in your life do you need support? And how are you going to get that support moving forward? And what does the path forward look like for you as we start to reopen the economy? Things are starting to reopen right now. What does forward mean to you? What does it look like to you? And what are the values that you are going to be using as your foundation when you make those choices to move forward? And the last question I pose to you as you listen to the episode is, are your strengths hurting you? I really want you to think about that. We all have towering strengths, but every tower, as you know, if you go to New York City, Chicago, even L.A., Every tower has a shadow. And so what is the shadow of your strengths? And are your strengths hurting you? What could some blind spots be of your strengths that you're not even aware of or thinking about? So I invite you to listen to the interview that I do with Katie this week with those questions in the back of your mind. And also, I'm excited to tee up my episode for next week. So as you know, I am super passionate about the power of coaching. There is absolutely 
nothing like it. The impact that it has on people, their lives, their businesses is incredible. So next week on the show, I am unveiling the Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab. It's a 12-week group coaching program for women. And next week, I'm going to be having Lori Tab, who is my co-coach and partner in developing this program. And we are going to be talking all about the program, what's included, how it's going to help you, and the community that we're going to be creating in this program. I'm super excited to share it with you. I can't wait for you to listen in next week. And if you're curious to get more information or get on the waiting list before we formally announce it next week, please feel free to email me at natalie at corecreationcoaching.com and I'm happy to send you information. Until then, enjoy this episode with Katie Anderson. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Katie, I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. I'm so happy to be with you today. Well, I'm really happy to be interviewing you today because I just want to give the audience a little background on how we how we met. So about a month ago, six weeks ago, I attended and you were actually speaking at a leadership conference. And it was fantastic. And throughout the day, there were breakouts of different speakers and yours was such a compelling story, and you did such a great job that I went up to you afterwards. I said, would you please be on my podcast? Because I really think that your story would resonate with my audience. And so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit about you know, your background and who you are and a little bit about what you shared that day with us at the conference. Yeah, I feel like that was the last thing that we did before all of this lockdown started. So it feels like a really long time ago, but I guess it wasn't as long ago as as I thought. I know it does. It does seem like a long time ago. And I'm missing having that many women and that much wonderful energy in one room. We just spoke about it. You're in, in Oregon and you're, what, five weeks into the lockdown and we're yep. about three weeks into lockdown. And Yes, I'm I'm definitely missing those days of being in a conference room with a bunch of amazing women. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead. I think that there's something really beautiful about women supporting women. And, you know, I think that it kind of goes back to the heart of my story and why I chose to speak for Sabina and Lori at that conference to begin with. You know, we all of the speakers at the leadership conference were donating their time to the conference. We weren't being paid, and we're doing it for the sole purpose of wanting to help other women. And you know, my story: I'm uh, a mother of three, and I own my own company with my husband. We run a community management firm in Bend, Oregon, and I started 
in my career at a very young age. I got into this industry when I was 19 and it kind of feels like a blur when I look back at the last 18 years. It's been very much just nose to the grindstone. You know, what I what's the next step? What is the next hurdle I need to get over to keep pushing forward? And I think as women we tend to look at that vision down the road but not necessarily um, at those off ramps for ourselves or even when we might need to stop and take a break. And so um, the heart of my story and what I shared at the leadership conference had a lot to do around some health issues that I experienced several years ago. And I was literally working myself to death. I um, was working extremely long hours trying to be a mom to three kids, trying to have a marriage with my husband of 16 years. And all of those things coupled with the responsibility to my community and my civic engagements and all of those things that we think as women that we need to be a part of. And I never stopped to ask myself the physical toll that I was taking on myself. I think we just take for granted that we should be tired and not take very good care of ourselves and not eat very well and, you know, limited amounts of sleep and it's fine until it's not fine. And Mm -hmm. I got really sick about three years ago, be three years ago in July and wound up in the hospital. I had a very sick liver, not because of drinking um, or -hmm. any of that, but they, they genuinely couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I was healthy by all accounts But at the same time, my body was telling me enough was enough. And at that point, I, you know, I either was going to go back to the behavior that had been so normal for me and knew that the next time I would be lying in that bed would be worse, or I had to really examine what got me there in the first place and how I was going to change my behavior to make sure that I was going to be around to raise my three children, but also that I could be the type of leader to the company that I had put together um, because I couldn't pretend anymore that I could just be superwoman in heels and do all of it because that wasn't reality. Yeah. No, and Katie, I appreciate you sharing your story. And so, you know, three years ago, how old were your, were your three children? Um, so three years ago, I have a, an 11 year old currently I have an 11 year old, an eight year old and a six year old. So I had a three year old, a five year old and a nine year old at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And it was, I spent two days in the hospital. Um, ultimately after about eight months of testing, many specialists was simply told that my body couldn't process synthetic proteins. So probably like a lot of busy women, I was trying to, you know, I'd grab like a protein shake in the afternoon to sustain myself for lunch. And that was the only thing that they could attribute to me getting so sick. So I had liver enzymes that were about 1400, um, normal 45 to put oh, that geez. kind of in comparison. Yeah. And you know, the symptoms of the situation that I was going through were, um, it, you know, it was ironic because they were really just highlighting what I had become used to putting up with. 
when I got sick, I was even more exhausted. I had a hard time eating, was just very lethargic. Um, and I think as women, sometimes when those things start to happen, we're not honest enough or do we feel comfortable enough in our environment with sharing those vulnerabilities and being honest with the people around us that, you know, I'm, I'm struggling or this is what's going on and I need some help. I think that I at least didn't have enough spaces that I felt safe enough or comfortable enough in my own skin being vulnerable and letting people know what was going on. Um, and so I just kept pushing through. And I got sicker and sicker and sicker to the point where then I was in the hospital. And I think that was my sort of come to Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. Is this what you want your next 15 to 20 years of work life to be, you know, with just cycles of pushing yourself too far and physically harming yourself? Is, is this what you want your life to look like? Yeah. And, and Katie, I think your story, that's why I had you on because I think your story, it resonates with so many women. I know for myself, in fact, you know, working a corporate job where I was traveling all the time, I was in and out of airports. I, you know, airport food isn't great. I was grabbing a slice of pizza. Sometimes I was grabbing a protein bar and, you know, just not really taking care of myself. And so, you know, here you are, you are, working yourself, you had built your own company, you working all these long hours, you have three small children, you have literally worked yourself almost to death to sickness. So when was it that you had a moment where you realized that something needed to shift? What was that moment for you? And, you know, because a lot of people in your situation might have just attributed it to they couldn't eat, they had to go gluten-free or dairy-free or, you know, yeah. eat differently. And maybe they would try that for a while. But there was something about that experience for you that obviously made this big shift. And so you made a choice to completely shift your life. So I yeah. would love to hear what that shift was for you. You know, it was funny. Um, so when they admitted me to the hospital, um, my OBGYN was actually the doctor that kind of fought and advocated for me it has been amazing, delivered all three of my children. I think in the healthcare system today, you kind of have that one person that hopefully advocates for you. And when they admitted me to the hospital, um, I it was like, Katie, you know, my normal behavior kicked in, like, we're going to solve this. I'm going to figure out why, like, we'll, you know, started texting my doctors, started texting my contacts and, you know, treating it sort of like a problem that you would solve in business. And my doctor was fantastic. He definitely helped advocate and run for a, a lot of tests to sort of eliminate and rule things out. But there was this very young nurse who was assigned to my care when I got admitted to the hospital. And my family had gone home for the night. My husband um, had gone downstairs to get something to eat. And he came in the room and said, was looking at my chart and said, you know, normally I don't see, you know, a 34 year old woman here in the hospital with this type of blood work. Can you tell me what's going on? You know, are you drinking too much? You know, asking me kind of all these normal questions. And we got to the end of it and he stood at the end of my bed and he said, well, you know, I can't tell you whether or not they're going to give you any answers to this, but 
you should really take a look at what got you here because for all intents and purposes, you are extremely healthy, but your liver isn't, it's the one organ that can heal itself if you change your habits. Hmm. And it was, you know, while it was a physical piece that sat with me, that was like, I can either choose to just keep pushing or I can take a step back and ask like, why, like, why, why am I here? What do I have to learn from this situation? And there very shortly after I was hospitalized, I started seeing a therapist. My husband and I have always found marriage counseling to be very helpful to our relationship and our marriage. And so I went and started you know, we started seeing our marriage counselor and started, you know, working through some things that I felt like was going on around us, the stresses. And after a few months of that, it really became clear that it it didn't have anything to do with my husband. It didn't have anything to do with my kids or the pressure at work. It was 100% with me. Hmm. And so, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And what that nurse said to me that day definitely got me thinking and led me down a path of having to become very open and honest with myself. And so shortly thereafter, starting to see our marriage counselor again, I found a personal therapist. And some of what I shared at the leadership conference was I found the Enneagram. And that for me became not an answer necessarily to everything, but it became the catalyst of self-discovery for myself to begin that journey of being really honest about who I am and what I am not. And that, I think that is a scary conversation for a lot of women. I know for me before going through this journey, it was because I thought I had to be everything to everybody. But what that situation showed me was that if I held on to those beliefs, I was going to probably kill myself or become so sick that those around me who I wanted so badly to take care of, I wasn't going to be able to. I'm so glad you brought up the Enneagram. I'm a huge Enneagram fan. And actually, in my coaching, I have all of my coaching clients go through and take the Enneagram. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, we're actually going to be having a whole podcast episode on it in a week or two. So listen in for that. But you know, the Enneagram is really a personal awareness tool. Uh, That's probably the best way to describe it. And it really helps you understand both things that you probably already know about yourself, and then also Mm -hmm. things that you don't that you're not aware of of yourself and it puts you into a category of nine categories and it's it's more complicated than that but we'll get into it but so what did you learn about yourself I mean obviously I love that you said you know I learned who I am but also who I'm not and so what was the main you know few takeaways that you got from your Enneagram results yeah so I'm a I'm an eight with a seven wing and I can remember very vividly a my therapist gave me the test to take. I took the th- I took the test, and after the results came in, she sent me kind of a packet of information. You know, here's some stuff for you to read. And <laughs> I w- was sitting in my chair that morning, reading through this packet of information, and I think for the first time, it was 
like someone had a window into my inner thoughts. And for me, always being a pretty strong, level-headed person, emotions are not something that I lean on very often. You know, I kind of lean on logic and survival's been my mentality. And reading that, my husband came home that morning and I was sitting in the chair just like sobbing. And he was like, oh my goodness, are you okay? Like, (laughs) what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, this is all going to be okay, but this is going to be tough. Like there are some things that I'm going to have to face with myself to get on the other side of this situation. And it's going to be hard and just know that I love you. This doesn't have anything to do with you, but this is going to be all about me. And he was very, um, he likes to fix things. He's a five. He likes peace. And yeah, so, you know, that was kind of the catalyst, that initial piece of sort of reading about the eight in how they use that strength as armor and how they avoid vulnerability and how they can be somewhat calculated with conflict sometimes to control situations. All of those initial pieces, I think, were really both confirming and earth shattering at the same point, if that makes any sense. I was just going to ask when you when you talked about reading through your results and sobbing. So what was what was the emotions that were being triggered for you in that moment? Um, so a lot of research around eights lends to, um, as you've probably learned through your Enneagram, is that we're sort of born with who we can be, and then our childhood enhances those behaviors. And so for me, I grew up um, in a divorced parent scenario, a very dysfunctional father, and a mother who was raising four kids who did the best that she you know, could, but spent a lot of time having to care for myself, having to raise myself, having to help raise my younger brother. Um, and so I really lacked a childhood. I lacked the innocence of a childhood that we think about today. And so that was a part that was so hard to process and read, mm-hmm. which I've always never regretted my childhood. I've always felt like my childhood made me who I am today, which is so true. But it was the first time that I had to look at it and say, lacking that innocence or lacking that vulnerability was harming me as an adult. And so I think there's that yin and yang always, you know, the good side and the bad side of those behaviors. And I'd never once tried to look at that strength as being something that could be hurting me as an individual or hurting those around me. And so I think that was a part of it that was probably the hardest for me to sort of process and open those wounds of not having that childhood, you know, was a good and a bad. And I think that's the part that I do love about the Enneagram. The Enneagram provides, you know, I've taken a lot of personality tests over the years and we've used them in various times in my corporate career. The thing I love about the Enneagram was it really shows you how you see the world versus how the world sees you. Mm-hmm. And why that was comforting for me was because I had the ability to then adjust. You know, if that was how I saw the world, but that element wasn't serving me or serving those around me, that gave me a sense of control that I could modify that and I could change that habit or change that behavior. 
And so frequently, I feel like personality tests sometimes tell us a lot of what other people think about us, and we can't really adjust that. <laughs> right. No, and I, I love what you shared. And and first of all, you know, thank you for sharing the depth of your emotions. And, you know, as you were talking about what was coming up for you, what I really took from that is, you know, that sadness and those tears were really you mourning that little girl that never really got to be that little girl. And, you know, I, I felt that as you were sharing it. And obviously, the benefit of growing up in that environment was you became very independent and very um, self-sufficient. And, you know, obviously, there's a lot of pluses to that. But it's no wonder that here later on in life, you were trying to do everything by yourself mm -hmm. because you never had that support, you know, knowing that your mom was doing the best she could, but you still never really had that support as a child. So you never knew how to ask for that support as an adult. Mm -mm. There was no security in that. Right. Um, you know, I think even if you did, it's kind of that, you know, you're never going to ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that there was definitely, that was the shifting point for me. And I'm very blessed that I found a therapist that a lot of her work is rooted in the Enneagram. And that has been very helpful to me because I'm, and I think everybody's different. So you have to find that person that fits for you. But for me, therapy has to feel like there's something coming out of it. You know, I don't want to just go sit on someone's couch to <laughs> tell them about my life that week. I'm, I want to feel like there's progress being made. That's just who I am. It's why I'm an eight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, um, yeah, so I was really fortunate that I w I connected with a therapist who a lot of her work is based in that. And so, you know, she asked a lot of tough questions and asked me a lot of tough questions. And it gave me an opportunity to sort of shift the direction of where I, I saw myself going. It wasn't just about, you know, nose to the grindstone and having that someday payoff. It was more about being honest with who I was and then really rooting that in the things that were most important to me and sort of framing my life around those core beliefs. And, you know, those two things, the Enneagram and getting really honest with who I was at the core um, became that sort of catalyst for change within myself. And as I went through that process, as I went through that self-discovery, I started to see the things around me change a lot. The dynamics with my children, you know, the relationship with my oldest, who's our only girl. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that that relationship shifted. The relationship with my husband shifted and not because, you know, there were a bunch of tough conversations with all of these people, but because I was changing who I was. And because I was altering my habits and my behavior, I started to see those relationships begin to evolve around me. Mm -hmm. No, and I, I love what you said about, you know, this gave you an opportunity. Because I know sometimes eights can be like, well, I had to, I had to do this, right? But yeah. <laughs> I love that you framed it up of, you know, this was an opportunity. I mean, you took this situation 
of your illness and you took it, the personal awareness that you gained from it, and you really did see it as an opportunity. And then the second thing that you said, I want to touch on, and it's one thing that I've recently done with my own life and I really advocate with my coaching clients is really, first of all, understanding what your core values and your core beliefs are. And secondly, building a life around those instead Mm -hmm. of building a work life, you know, that you really don't want and that doesn't isn't in alignment with your core values and your core beliefs. And so I love that you really took time and you paused you really did the personal awareness and the personal reflection as to what those core beliefs and what those core values were for you. And then you made a shift. And then all of a sudden you start seeing other people making a shift. So how did things change for you kind of moving forward? What did you do differently and and where are you at now? Well, you know, we started our company 12 years ago. Um, and I think I mentioned it earlier, but I run our company with my husband. Mm-hmm. And it was really primarily when we started the company was out of survival. We had a really young daughter. I was working in the corporate world. I worked for all male bosses that didn't understand the responsibility that they were putting on their managers. And when my daughter was born, I think that was the first time that I recognized like, this isn't going to work. I love what I do, but I can't do it in this environment. And so we started our company out of I think at that point in time, survival instincts almost, you know, we had this young daughter, we wanted to build something. And so we started our company and we wanted to build this different environment. We wanted to build a company that allowed myself as well as our employees to have a balanced life, to be able to have a career and also have a family life. And that one wasn't, you know, sort of sacrificed because of the other. So I had always felt that we had a company that allowed for that flexibility. But what I had never consciously done was ask myself, A, if what I was doing was what I was passionate about and what I really wanted to do. And I remember the day that my therapist asked me that and it was like, well, of course, but wait, (laughs) is it? (laughs) Um, And don't get me wrong. I love our company. I love our clients. I love doing what we do. But through this process, I have also come to understand that I really love to inspire people. I like to share the process that I've been through in hopes that even just one person takes something from that. And so the shift that I was able to make and, you know, sort of what came out of this was my core three values are family, ambition, and adventure. And what I started to do was to make sure that the decisions that I was making as a person, whether it was for my, our, you know, my kids, you know, what we were going to choose, how we were going to choose to spend our time or the decisions that were driving my company, was to make sure that did those all align, mm-hmm. you know, were the things that I was filling my time with, were they the right things? And it's crazy when you really ask yourself those questions because it very much is, empowers you to say no. And I don't think as women, we say that enough. No, we, we so do not. No, I always <laughs> tell my clients, no is a full sentence. That's it. Yep. And we do not, we don't say it enough. So let me ask you a specific question for my listeners. 
What are things that you were saying yes to that you started saying no to? I said yes a lot to volunteering for things, you know, whether it was in my community or with my kids. My daughter's a dancer and, you know, we had a a lot of our life being sucked up by volunteering for her studio. Those types of things that just felt like obligations, but I was putting them on myself. I was putting them on myself because I felt like that was what we, you know, I should be doing. I have to be this person to everybody. I have to help take care of them. And, you know, it has allowed us to definitely make decisions for our family and for our company from a different lens. I don't feel like I have to pack my kids' schedule because adventure is important to us. It is something that not only is a core value for me, but it's a core value for my husband. And when we decompress or when we release stress is when we're able to travel. And so that became a priority. Scheduling our travel, scheduling our vacations happens in January before anything else happens throughout the year. And those times are sacred. We don't cancel them unless you're uh, locked down for (laughs) (laughs) COVID-19. A a global pandemic is a reasonable excuse. I'm just saying. (laughs) It's a reasonable accommodation, yeah. So, you know, I have fellow CEOs in our industry that follow me on Facebook or follow me on LinkedIn. And I'm like, Katie, you know, you travel a lot. How do you do what you do? Well, A, now we're all suddenly figuring out that you can pretty much work from anywhere if you have a good internet Exactly. Connection. And so those are things that I don't apologize for and I make a priority. And it makes me a better mom, a better wife, a better leader of our company because I'm honoring those parts of myself and I'm giving myself that space to have fun and be vulnerable and explore and be creative. And I think that every person is different. You know, when you ask yourselves these questions, that's the amazing thing about the Enneagram or identifying your core values. No one person is going to be a carbon copy of each other. And so what works for me and what's important to me is going to be so much different than maybe what works for you. And the beauty of it is to just respect that space of honesty. And it did definitely have, um, it definitely did show me to those relationships, people that respected and honored that side of me and that true self and those that really liked me feeling like I had to take care of everybody. And those relationships, that's who they wanted me to continue to be are not necessarily relationships that I still have in my life today. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because to a lot of my coaching clients, and I will share my own personal story as well, is I went through my own personal transformation and it it was about a two-year, three-year process. And I'm friends with one of the women that went through that process with me because she really valued who I was as a person and not what I could give to her. And she really just honored me in that way. And I'm actually dealing with another one of my coaching clients right now who's in the midst of her process. And her friend group is 
changing and there's a lot of volatility right now because people aren't, you know, people like you at a certain level. And when you up-level yourself or you change yourself in a different direction, it actually brings out a lot of other people's insecurities and fears. And they're either going to be that person that's going to really support you and enable you and prop you up to grow and to change and to better yourself, or they're going to want to keep you in a certain place for themselves. And so it is, I'm really glad you mentioned it because sometimes that is one of the, it's not necessarily a fallout, but it it is a a change that happens when people go through a personal growth journey. Yeah. And I think, you know, it can be a detour for some people because you have to ask yourself if those are relationships that you're okay letting go of. And I don't think as women that we often enough step away from situations without feeling like we either have to create drama around it or let the drama happen. And I, you know, I find this beauty in, you know, some of the relationships that are no longer a part of my life and just respecting and honoring that we had a season that was great. It met, you know, whatever needs were there for me and that individual, but that our seasons have changed and that, I don't have to, you know, harbor any hatred or anger or frustration or create any of those things around that. You just simply respect people for who they are and that we're no longer the right fit for each other's lives and where we sit today. And that is, I think, an extraordinarily difficult thing as women in general to not want to feel like we ha- we don't have to fit in every group. We don't have to be friends with everybody. You know, there's going to be people that don't like me and that's okay. You know, I don't know that I could have said that three years ago. I think three years ago, I probably would have wanted to know why, or I would have wanted to fix it sure. or there would have felt like something to solve. And some of that comes with just being okay in your own skin and knowing that that isn't always going to be the best fit for other people. And respecting that the people that pull up to the table to be a part of your journey, those are going to be the right people and foster those relationships and care for those relationships in a way that fits and let the rest of it go. It's, it's, it's so much harder to do than I, you know, than of course I'm on the other side of it. So I think that, right. that it gives me a different perspective, but it definitely, um, it is a byproduct of the journey that sometimes is unsettling to people to let those relationships go. I completely agree. And when you're in the midst of it, it is really, really difficult. So kind of going back to business, how did it change you as a leader? And maybe if you could backtrack, because I don't think we talked about this. How many people do you have working in your company? Because I know you've grown a very successful company. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you could talk about you know how that's affected your leadership too. Yeah. So we have 30 employees and I think the biggest thing, there were a couple elements of it. Uh, We had our senior team take the Enneagram test as well. And part of it was as a leader, I wanted to understand how I could better serve them and understanding them better as individuals was extraordinarily helpful to me. So we had our senior team um, take the Enneagram test and went through a series of one-on-one conversations with each other to talk about, you know, what they read, what they learned, how I could better help them as individuals. And this process has made me 
I, I think anytime you go through a, a journey of being more self-aware and being more grounded and honest in who you are, you have a little bit better clarity on how, what you can offer those around you. And so the biggest change for me was getting really intentional with my time, with my staff and making sure that I was filling that time with what they needed from me and just being more aware, I think of those relationships and respecting myself. I I definitely, um, as an eight really love my ability to look down the road and see a future that those standing around me haven't yet seen. Mm-hmm. And this process has definitely taught me that they're not always going to walk and step with me with that vision. And I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with leading out in front and knowing that trusting my gut is the best thing for me to do. And I sh- definitely am more intentional and more honest with them about where we're headed and why we're headed there. But I don't apologize for that anymore, if that makes sense. That makes no, that makes perfect sense. And you know, I love the way you teed this part of the conversation up. Because, you know, sometimes when teams do any kind of assessment, whether it be Myers-Briggs or DISC or Enneagram, sometimes the people on the team can be a little hesitant because it's, okay, what are you going to learn about me? And how are you going to use that? And I love that you created a safe space for your team to say, look, you know, we're going to all take the Enneagram and it's so I can learn how to serve you best. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's why everyone adopted it. And every, I mean, I know from our previous conversation that everyone was really excited about taking it and you mapped where everyone was on the Enneagram and you realized how, you know, the different numbers and the different capabilities that you had sitting around your senior leadership table. And I love that because you created that safe space for them to take that and to really know that they were going to be supported by you with the learnings that you and them gained from the assessment. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of any of the Enneagram um, tools that you read or look at. It's kind of the number one rule with all of it is that you never use it as a tool. As you start to gain knowledge, as you start to understand the different types more, a lot of the authors and podcasters and all of those that you know I've read, I just finished about a month ago, Beatrice Chestnut's The Nine Types of Leadership. And it's like their number one rule. You never use it against somebody. So we never like walk into a staff meeting and say, oh, you know, Joe, you're behaving like this. My gosh, you're being such a three right now. You know, that that was like our number one rule that we laid out with our team is like, as you start to understand each other better, you know, that knowledge is never used as a weapon. It's never used as a tool to sort of put someone in their corner. And we will always approach it with curiosity and honesty and being the best humans that we can be to each other. And not that, you know, we don't have personality rubs or those types of things that come up or situations that we have to solve. We're not perfect by any means, mm-hmm. but it, it became a catalyst of to have some conversations and understand each other better. And I do believe that that understanding then helps us identify as a company where our weaknesses are and, you know, where 
our strengths are and how do we frame our growth around those things so that we're making decisions based off of data and based off of information and not just whatever whim, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. might come. Absolutely. So if I were to ask your friends, your family, and your coworkers what your superpowers are, what would they say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that they would still say that, uh, you know, Katie can do anything. I think they all still believe that, that, um, you know, I'm kind of superwoman. I definitely try and share with them my mess ups a lot more. (laughs) Mm, That's interesting. But yeah, I, I think, you know, they would definitely say that I can tackle anything. Hopefully they would tell you I, I make a really wicked cupcake. I think that's one of my, my <laughs> All right. Now I want one of your cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously you, you know, you've shared with us, you know, kind of your story and your journey. And now you're kind of on the other side of it. What are you still working on? I think I still continue to work on how to be vulnerable. I think is something that I will always work on as an eight. Um, because the perspective of that is we'll always have some fear around it. And for me, I think that has come through in finding my voice, finding my ability to share my story. Uh, this last year I've become, began writing a lot more and that's always kind of a scary thing. You know, when you put a piece of work out you're never sure how people are going to receive it, what the response is going to be. And so definitely working on trying to find that inner voice and how I can continue to be vulnerable in authentic ways that still suit me as a person. I can't change 100% the fact that that vulnerability scares me, but I can take sort of calculated risks and can choose how that's going to serve me best in the long run. I love that. I love that. And where do you see your life five to 10 years from now? Man, um, you know, I would say one of the things that I've really begun to love is to share my story more to help other women overcome some of these stigmas or hurdles. And so I hope in five years that I get the opportunity to be speaking more in front of women. I really love public speaking. I know it's kind of crazy, but I have become to recognize that I I'm quite good at it. I, I you like are good at it. I will <laughs> I will definitely vouch for you. You are really good at it. And that's why I obviously I saw you at the conference. So I was like, Oh, I need to have her on. You were great. <laughs> you delivered a great talk. Thank you. So yeah, I hope in five years that I get to do more of that. You know, I don't know that I would ever say that I see that being my job, because I think that there are you know, things that we love or we're passionate about don't always have to be the things that we make money from. I get all of the research and statistics around making your passions your job. And maybe someday that will be, but I I hope in five years that I get the opportunity to speak in front of more women, share my story, help them. Um, And 10 years, you know, in 10 years, I hope I've grown a company that we can sell and let it, you know, have a life beyond our leadership and travel with my husband and, you know, just take advantage of the work that we're putting in today. I hope in 10 years we see that come to fruition. I love that. I love that. And uh, two last questions. The first one is, what is one thing that you would want 
your friends, family, or coworkers to know about you that they don't already know? Since many of them may listen to this. Hmm. I think it's that I screw up too. Mm. You know, I make I make mistakes as a leader and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't always have all the answers. I'll always lead with my gut and I will always find that path forward. But I, I think sometimes it's hard for people to look at eights and see that vulnerability as authentic. And it is. I mean, we screw up too. I love that you shared that. And last question is if you could talk to your younger self, maybe your 18-year-old self, what would you say to her? I would tell her to take advantage of those childish moments more and to lean in and allow herself to recapture some of the innocence that she didn't get to have as a kid. Mm -hmm. That's and I get so, to do that now. <laughs> I know. It's so So I would have told myself that a little earlier. <laughs> no, it's so it's so beautiful. And Katie, I really appreciate you sharing your story. You know, I love that it's really in alignment with what you want to do. I know you did it at the conference and because you share it so beautifully and you share it so honestly and so vulnerably. So I really appreciate the time that you've spent here today. I know that your goal is to help prop women up and hopefully that sharing your story will help someone. And I guarantee you that someone listening to this is absolutely going to be changed and affected by what you shared today. So thank you so much. I really, really am grateful you were here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy to get to know you as well. Oh, thanks, Katie. And just for everyone to know, Katie would love if everyone were to connect with her and follow her on social media. And so her name's Katie Anderson, and I will put her LinkedIn and her Facebook social media handles in the show notes. So on that note, thanks for being here, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Natalie. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.